Solomon, who firstly considering the mutability of man, that man is subject to change, he gave his heart, did he not, to much study, much worldly wisdom and pleasures and business and estates. He was renowned throughout the known world at the time. People came from Africa and from the known world to hear of the wisdom of Solomon, to see his great wisdom and to see this wonderful estates and pools and the, the regiment of his army, the order of his kingdom. He was famous. And if anyone knew of the mutability of man, it was Solomon, friends. Solomon did this to show us that the temporary works of man will not last. They will not last. They are fleeting at best. And therefore he, he proclaims vanity of vanities. All is vanity, all is vexation of spirit. He beheld all that he did, all his glory, all his great kingdom, his fame. And he beheld it and he within he knew that none of it was going to last. None of it brought lasting peace. None of it brought true happiness. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2, 9-11, So I was great, and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour. And this was my portion of all my labour. Everything that he wanted, his eyes were how he gave it to himself. He withheld no good thing from. And verse 11 says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and all the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. The preacher, Solomon, here says, that's a remarkable verse, isn't it, that 11th verse? It's an, inc an incredible statement. He says, then I looked on all the works of my hands, which my hands had wrought, and on the labour that I had laboured to do. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. All these great fruit trees that I've planted, all this great kingdom that I've established, all these things, my, these maidservants, these men servants, these singers, all this wonderful estate and this great renown from around the world that he had, he, he, he proclaims, these are all mutable. These are all things subject to change. These things are not going to last. And what, what is Solomon saying here? He's saying in essence that all his labours have not brought him all these great estates, all these things, all the labours of his hands and the work of his hands, which he has done and which he has delegated to do, they have not brought him true happiness. They have not brought him true peace of soul. That's what he's saying. And when Solomon considered that all the works of men are subject to change in the various seasons and times of life and events of life, it grieved him. It grieved him to his very core of soul. And in fact, he compares man's mutable heart, man's ever-changing 
a man's heart that which is, is prone to change and wander with this present world. He compares it with this present world in Ecclesiastes 1, 7 through 8, where he says, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labour. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So in a sense, he's comparing this world, the revolutions, the cycles of this world, where everything from heaven is faithful, the rain, the sunshine, the rain comes down upon the mountains, it collects into rivers, it goes into the ocean, and then it returns again. And the, the, the cycle repeats. And the, all this water goes into the ocean, and yet the ocean is never full, it's never overflowing. And in, in a sense, Solomon is saying, well, man's heart is like this vast ocean. It can never be satisfied. It's never content. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. Neither is the ear filled with hearing. We can never truly be satisfied. Man's heart, dear friends, is made for a higher purpose. That's what he's saying. We can never truly be satisfied if we're just living for the here and the now. If we're living for the matters of the flesh, the matters of Hollywood ideals, he's saying that we're made for a higher purpose. We'll never truly be at peace with our Maker and with our God and with the works of our hands. We must look to that which is immutable, that which is constant, that which is never changing, that which is always faithful. That's what we need to look to. Because these things are not going to last. And to enforce the mutability of man, that is, man is subject to change, Solomon says something very interesting in Ecclesiastes 2.16. He says, And how dieth the wise man? How dieth the wise man? And he says, quite simply, as the fool. As the fool. And King Solomon with all his labors, with all his riches, with all his splendor, with all the renown of his king and his reputation, he was known for that judgment. Remember, that judgment he had with those two women, with that baby. And he was renowned. And of course, these things were from God. But all his works, all the, the works that he delegated, and this great estate, and all these singers, and all these pools, and this beauty of his kingdom. He says, well, how die the wise? As the fool. You know, all these great footballers, and we see them, we see them at the, the World Cups on at the moment, and they talk about Christian Ronaldo, this, and this person, that, these famous pop stars. Well, how are they going to die? These, these role models in these degenerate days that we live in, how are they going to die as the fool? No difference at all. They're going to die in the same way. And only that which is done. For Christ and the soul is going to last. He really puts things into heavenly perspective here, doesn't he? And friends, please allow me now to speak in a more personal way to our hearts, and perhaps in a bit more uh, a frank way concerning our hearts for today's text from the Word of God. It says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. To everything, to everything, dear friends, nothing that we put our hands to in this life, dear friends, is going to be constant. Everything is going to change. 
the subject, like the seasons are, to be stripped away, to be brought low, to be cut down, dear friends. Everything, not some things. The preacher doesn't say some things. He doesn't say particular things. He says everything. Everything there is a season, and to every purpose under the heaven. All the works of men, as with the seasons, are subject to change and decay. The coldness of the, the circumstance and the winter of this life, dear friends, will strip men when death's cold bite comes. It will. But how often do we put these things off, friends? The heat of the summer, dear friends, of this life will burn and sometimes surprise us and cut men down in their prime. Out of nowhere, dear friends, people can, and the heat of the summer of this life can be suddenly, and a heat wave comes on, it can burn. Burn that which we've planted. Burn that which we've built up very quickly, dear friends, and surprise us very suddenly. In our prime, the late spring, dear friends, of this life can suddenly come with a, a, an early frost or a late frost. And can very quickly and suddenly at times, dear friends, destroy the seedlings of our ambitions and our hopes, our worldly hopes. All the things that we dreamt of, all the things that Hollywood tell us and the media tell us, oh, you should aspire to these things. They can just, very quickly, the cold blast of the Lord can so disappoint us, dear friends. The deluge of floods, dear friends, of this world at harvest will rob men's fortunes, dear friends. They'll be taken away very quickly, dear friends. And what will really matter in the end is your and my standing before our Maker. Whether we've truly, truly sought the Lord with all our hearts, and we know that we're made for God, we hide the truth in unrighteousness, says the Scriptures. You know, never have I believed that we lived in a day where we see so much nominal Christianity around us. So much shallow Christianity. So many shallow professions, friends. God makes a promise to us that if we seek, we shall find. If with, with all our heart we seek after Him, the door shall be open unto Him. Genesis 3.19 says, For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We are but a fraction flesh. Friends, as I, I say often enough, our bodies, our flesh is but a, a granule upon the seashore of eternity. We are infinitely more soul, friends. Infinitely more soul. That's what we must give our hearts to. It is folly. It is folly to give ourselves to the here and the now. We must look for that which is immutable, constant, faithful, never changing. And God's witnesses are all around us. The heavens declare it. They speak to us every day. And the, the word of God faithfully goes out proclaiming this. Therefore to give one's heart to the temporary friends and that which is prone to change is folly. You know, the greatest scientists and mathematicians and astronomers that ever did live in their respective fields, dear friends, the, these great breakthroughs that they made. We think of men like uh, Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus, and Michael Faraday. It was said of these great men of old, 
that the reason why they made these great breakthroughs is because they looked for constancy in the universe and constancy in their respective fields. They looked at the laws, they didn't look at man's changing things, they didn't look at things that change, they looked at constancy. They looked at faithfulness, that which is permanent in their respective fields. And they saw their great genius and designer and almighty power, and that's what enabled them to, uh, to do these amazing breakthroughs. And the same is true of us. It is upon each and every one of us. It is true. It is true that salvation is on the Lord. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. Only God can say that is a biblical truth. But it is also true of us that we are responsible and accountable if we go to hell. Not God. We are, dear friends. That is completely up to us. But salvation is all down to the Lord. But you see, dear friends, this is the wonderful thing. That God has made promises, immutable promises. He has made, secondly, immutable promises, dear friends. Promises in his word which it's impossible for God to love. Friends, if we would desire any comfort for our eternal souls and hope of that which is immutable, that which never changes, which is always faithful, dear friends, we must look to the Almighty God. We must consult the divine. We must consult the all-powerful God and strive to enter into the straight gate. It says strive to enter into the straight gate. With everything that we've got, we must seek first the kingdom of God, dear friends. In Hebrews 6, 17 through 18, the word of God speaks of two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Remember that word immutable means that God never changes. He, he, his, his opinion is never exaggerated. His word is never exaggerated. It is impossible for God to lie. And this is said for the comfort of seekers and the comfort of God's elect and the comfort of all God's people. There are two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Firstly, that God's eternal counsel found in his holy word can never be altered. Can never ever change. For forever is thy word settled in heaven. God's word will have the final court of appeal, not men, not the, not the changing opinions of men. God's word is forever settled in heaven. His promises and word, dear friends, can never be broken. We think of all the threats and warnings he made right throughout the scriptures, and every single one of them has come true. Every single one, we think of the judgment, the judgment upon Jerusalem. We think of all the threats made, they've all come true. We think of all the prophecies of all concerning the Saviour, Christ, they've all come true to, to, to astonishing exactness. And we think of all God's promises to those who truly seek Him, who truly seek His face with all their hearts. He promises the door will be open unto them, dear friends. God's word can never be broken. They are never, never subject to exaggeration. The purposes of God's eternal counsel were settled before the world began between the eternal Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've been predestined for friends. They are not subject to man's change or influence at all. The second immutable truth in which it is impossible for God to lie is his oath, his covenant oath 
which he has made with Abraham. He made a solemn declaration and affirmation and covenant promise to all generations with Abraham that no matter your class or your position or your standing in society, that through Abraham a Saviour would come. Right through, through to the, the line of David, right through to Joseph and Mary, and would be born, born of that miraculous uh, birth, and would live that perfect holy life under the law to redeem us of the consequences of the law, our sin. And would suffer and take on board our punishment for our sin, and be punished on that cruel cross, and suffer uh, over 30 years of being hunted down, suffer for us, and then take the full debt of our sin. And God would punish the Saviour, the innocent Lamb of God, for us. And those who seek to go through that door by faith alone, and truly and seriously turn from this world's gimmicks, and the things of this world themselves, and look outside of themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ alone, by faith. Well, then the same will happen to what happened to Abraham. It will be imputed to you for righteousness. That's what the scripture says. The righteousness of God will be given to you. You and I who are unclean, who are defiled, who are black by nature, will become as white as snow. God cannot lie. God promises. But you see, we must be saved God's way. And this is, the pro this is the problem with much of the Christianity around us. People do not want to be saved God's way. God says, turn and you shall live. But you see, people, people say, well I'm a Christian, but I don't want to turn from my sin and the world. I love my sin too much. There must be a turning. We must turn away from our sin, the world, what we want in life and look outside of our own puny efforts to get right with God to the Saviour. And hence the, the, prophet's, the prophet's words in Isaiah, look unto me, all the ends of the world, and be saved, for there is no other. What works are there in a the look? What works are there in a the look? There's nothing in a look. He says, turn from yourself, turn from your sin and mean it. Be absolutely convicted that your sin is so terrible that it took God and the flesh to come down and give His holy life. That's how bad our sin is. Sin is so destructive in our lives and that in the lives of our loved ones. It, it rips apart everything in this life. We're seeing it at the moment in Russia and Ukraine. It tears everything down in our life. It is so destructive. We sin against God and eternity and therefore the penalty as an eternal death of suffering. But God, who is immutable, cannot lie. He promises you if you really mean it, you really mean that you're sorry for your sin, and you truly are convicted that you are hell-deserving sinner. You, you don't deserve His love. You don't deserve His, his salvation. And you, and you truly mean it. And you turn from these things and, and your own efforts, and you look to Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And like Abraham, you believe in God's promises, that they are for you, that God had you in mind personally upon your heart, that your name was written upon his heart when those nails were hammered in. Dear friends, with the mocking and the scourging and the, the blackness was put
poured upon him a whole lot of sins. When all those punishments, he was for you in a personal sense. It's a personal salvation. And you believe in it with all your hearts. And you're looking to him and nothing else. He promises. The minute you do that, the moment that you do that, the doors of heaven will fling open a, a true repentant sinner. Anyone that truly means it and truly turns from their sin and looks to Christ, the constant, the faithful one, like the, the sun is a, a great gulf away. And yet, it being such a great gulf away, it brings light to the, to the world and it brings up the seed that's in darkness. And in the ground, it brings it to newness of life. So Christ is risen and glorious and can bring you to newness of life and give you a new heart and a new desire, new principles. you just got to look to Him and believe in Him and turn from yourself and from the world and look to Him alone. And like Abraham, when he looked to that eastern sky and he saw those blazing stars, innumerable, that, that his seed, from all different walks and, and nations of life, every, not just Israel, all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Not that all would be saved, but all the nations that would be elect be brought into God's kingdom. And they too would be like shining, blazing fires and stars in the darkness. They would be witnesses. When I look at the stars of the night, I can, I can say with Abraham, that's like a believer. That's God's covenant of promise. They are these shining, blazing stars that point to Christ. He believed in it. And God, God accounted to him for righteousness. And it's the same. Dear friends, with each and every one of us, this is the second immutable truth that God's covenant promises, His oath, dear friends, remains true for, for all generations. Do you believe in it, dear friends? Those who have inherited the promise of Abraham's, the, the God, the promise that God made to Abraham, dear friends, of this wonderful inheritance are those who have experienced the new birth. Not a very popular message nowadays. How many times in the high street, when I speak to people of the new birth, and we know this in our fellowship, people do not know the new birth. The new birth. You must be born again. The Lord's not just saying that. This is not a fickle thing. His word is settled in heaven. You must be born again. This cannot be an outward Christianity. This cannot be a formal thing. This cannot be done with formal attendance. Yes, we must read our Bibles heartily, prayerfully. We must go to the needs of grace. We must partake in the Lord's Supper and be sanctified. We must give ourselves wholeheartedly from these things and turn from these things. But we must be born again. There must be a change of heart and desire from our hearts. You must become a serious Christian who wants to live exclusively for Christ. There must be a transforming power in your heart. Too much of our Christianity, dear friends, is not like this. And the power is, is, the power is gone. You must be born again. Your true desire is to live for the Lord. That is where true peace is. That is where true happiness is. Friends, there is a purpose. There is a purpose, an eternal purpose to our lives. We're all going to die one day. We're all going to stand before God's judgment throne. And whose righteousness will we be standing in? 
dear friends, our own or Christ's. Because these are serious things. There's a higher purpose to our lives. Where are we headed, dear friends? When God will come and judge the world in righteousness, where will we be found? Like I said earlier, our life is but a vapour. This life is going to go very quickly. And friends, if God comes by the close of this meeting or the close of this day, or very quickly cuts you down, dear friends, where will you stand? These are serious things. Our lives are, are like a flower in the field. They have their beauty, as it were, their bud, and they, they have their, their blossom, and they have their renown, and people may speak of it. But what will then become of it when the wind passes over it? And it starts to wither and fade. It's gone. And what, what, will, what will be on the flower? Well, only the seed of the flower will last, won't it? The seed will die. The seed must die. And then only the sun, though it be a great gulf away, can bring it to life again. Only that which is inward, dear friends, if you're a true Christian from the heart. If you've, if you've truly understood the gospel and been changed by it, not just words, but your life, that you want to live for the Lord and in everything you seek to be conformed to Him, not this passing world, these things must be true. The outward man will perish, but what of your soul? What of my soul? Our eternal souls. We must give ourselves to these things. Are you a true Christian? Just ask you that question. Are you a true Christian? Has there been a real transformation in your heart and in your life? I have to be frank about these things. Because, because I truly care and love your souls. Or are you still conformed to this world? Is that your main aim? Just to live in this world? Jesus Christ said, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. I love that text. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever. Immutable. He'll never fail you. He has never failed you. He has always, always given his best. God gave his best. He gave his only begotten son. And would we dare withhold anything from him? How shall we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, friends, in Christ? We won't. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, dear friends. His love will never fail you. We fail each other. I fail people. I've let people down. I've let myself down and other people. And we, we can all say this, can't we? But Christ, the Son of God, has a friends. We must seek our Maker. We must seek our Saviour. James 1 through 17, in conclusion, says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Salvation is a perfect gift from God's intent, from the Father of lights. We must embrace this gift in Christ. Amen. Amen.